And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. As we begin a Tuesday, Gary, good morning. Good morning. I don't know where to start, so I'm just picking something off the top yeah all right the uh my my uh sentence of the day mm-hmm. <laughs> comes from the wall street journal's analysis of the uh, uh jp uh morgan uh deal mm. uh you know bank bailout mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the fdic will provide 50 billion in financing and share future losses on asset it will also cover 80% of the losses of First Republic single-family residential real estate and commercial loans for seven and five years, respectively. J.P. Morgan will be permitted to weigh these loans as lower risk for the purposes of complying with regulatory capital requirements. There hasn't been a more one-sided financial deal since the Dutch bought Manhattan Island <laughs> from the Indians. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's the thing. If you go back to the recession, and uh, what was it? I think it was Bank of America that bought out Countrywide Mortgage. And you look at some of those deals, and it was very evident then that the government, you know, through the FDIC, through Fannie and Freddie, are just setting it up. And, and, and then eventually through Dodd-Frank, Setting it up for a too big to fail on the banks, you know, uh, across the board on just about anything. And that's exactly what has happened. Now, they rolled back some of Dodd-Frank. But there was never going to be this, you know, period where we reapproach this and say, listen, if Chase sees assets there, then that's one thing. They can come in and then they can take on their risks. But you're not going to have that. I mean, tell me, there isn't, actually. You can't tell me there's not a bank in the world that has greater sure footing. That's not a central bank. <laughs> and, well, and they're sure, that qualification. Well, yeah, they're, yeah. their sure footing simply comes 
from the unlimited backing of the taxpayer. Well, no, I mean, I'm talking about without this, without this deal. Oh, okay. Right. They're the biggest bank in the world. Yeah. Let them take the risk. No. Not going to do that. Nope. They're not assuming it. The taxpayer has the exposure. And and I see the uh, uh, the uh, will cost a deposit fund an estimated $13 billion. Yeah. Well, we're not going to yeah. know the full cost of this. You're right. For, yeah. for years. Well, no, they, they because, put that out because, there and nobody's going to go right. back and reassess. It's not going to be a story when you look back, you know, if you go 10, 20 years down the road and look back and go, oh, no, that actually costs us closer to $100 billion or what, whatever it is. No one's going to do that story. Well, it says the FDIC will cover 80% of the losses on First Republic single-family residential real estate and commercial loans for seven and five years, respectively. So we're mm-hmm. not going to know the full. So the no. FDIC is still involved mm-hmm. and will be involved in this over a period. Of, it's not like, okay, it's done. It's yours. We're out of it. Right. It's almost as if, okay, the government now is a partner yeah. in in all of this. Well, the taxpayer is a partner that won't see any benefit the only thing the taxpayer will, the only thing this partner gets out of it is, you know, more, you know, uh, higher fees in the long run mm-hmm. at banks because mm-hmm. that's, it comes from the FDIC, which they're supported by the fees. Yeah. And right. so in order to replenish those fees, you know, but here's the thing. You and I sat here. You know, I, I wish that we didn't live in the bubble of today. I wish. Stop smoking pot. I wish that we, I, I, I'm sorry, that was the first thing that came to my mind. I'm talking about short and medium term memory. Yeah. Everybody lives in the yeah. bubble of today. Yeah. It's all the bubble of today. And you think about going back to Occupy Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that came out of Occupy Wall Street, well, it, well, it was one thing, the banks. The banks were to blame for everything and big banks were bad. And all the Democrats have done here, really since Occupy Wall Street, you know, you did have you did have in the last one where they shot down a bigger bank, you know, taking over uh, SVB, mm. uh, but then that ended costing them more. So, right. that, so yeah. you you the the taxpayer the taxpayer you're going to foot the bill for higher fees for that one. Right. And so this one, they said, well, no, give it to the bigger bank. Uh, and it'll it might only cost us thirteen billion dollars, but everything that they've done, the Democrats claim they they hate bigger banks, but all they have done through their policy is create is help to create and stabilize the bigger banks. Yeah, everything since two thousand eight two thousand nine has been to give the advantage the competitive advantage through government bailouts to the huge banks. Yeah. And this deal here with ultimately with with Chase on their balance sheet is going to put them, you know, because they had roughly over uh, 3.1 trillion in assets, I think. You're going to bump that up and you're going to basically eliminate the risk. And then when you see this, the main reason for First Republic's failure was long years of easy money. The bank developed a lucrative business issuing below-market mortgages to wealthy customers to attract their deposits. Nearly 60% of its loan book consisted of single-family mortgages and included teaser rates 
with an interest-only period. The business model worked until the Federal Reserve began raising interest rates, which dented the value of its loans and spurred customers to move more deposits into higher-yielding money market funds and government bonds. Everything that we're dealing with is because of the manipulation of the dollar of the Fed to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you look back at the history of Jamie Dimon. Remember when they were you know, there was talk about him being called up for Fed chair? Yep. And then for a minute, Treasury Secretary? Well, he's sitting back going, <laughs> work for the government? No, I'm, I'm going to have the government work for me. Are you kidding me? No way. I would I would also throw in that I think one of the accomplishments and long-lasting effects of Occupy, not so much Occupy Wall Street, but Occupy Portland, was that they, they shored up the greater justification and acceptance of living in a tent in Portland and doing drugs. That may have been the long-term effect in Portland, just a local thing. But this is the stuff, this is exactly what you get. The liberals will say all day long, oh, we need to go after the rich. We need to go after, because ultimately what they want to do is go after the banking industry. They want to go after the banking customer. It's going to cost all of us. They want more control over banking. They usher all this in, and then they come back around here a few years later. Well, we need we need more regulation to make sure this doesn't happen again. Who pays for the regulation? We do. Well, here's what uh, the Wall Street Journal had to say on that. During last month's bank run, wealthy uninsured depositors fled to bigger banks that were deemed too big to fail under the 2010 Dodd-Frank Act. Mm. And, uh, First Republic represents another failure of the Dodd-Frank regime and the regulatory oversight. This is not a reason to give the regulators who failed... More power. The White House is proclaiming that banking problems are now contained, and Wall Street seems to agree, but losses on commercial and maybe residential real estate loans are piling up on bank books, and who knows what else is lurking in the financial uh, weeds. There's a reason the FDIC had to agree to assume most of First Republic's future loan losses. You know what's funny? is when this story was breaking yesterday during the show, the New York Times, I'll see if I can find it. Uh, I'll see if they change the headline. Their headline on this story was interesting to me. And now it fits right in, actually. Regulators seize control of First Republic and sell it to Chase. And I thought, well, that's an interesting way to phrase it. But that's exactly what they did. They usher this in. And who better than Chase? I mean, obviously, Chase has to agree to it. But tell me where the downside is for Chase. There isn't one. Yeah, I, I, I don't see it. There isn't one. And, you know, I mean, if um, if a smaller bank, we'll just go a few notches down, a Wells Fargo had come in and said, hey, no, we want part of it. And Bank of America said, yeah, we'll we'll take the other part of it. We'll assume a little bit of risk. We'll assume a little bit of risk. I'm wondering what would have happened. Now, having said that, anybody assessing this situation is going to wait for all the knives to fall. You're not going to reach out and try and grab a falling dagger 
You're going to wait for it to hit the ground, and then you come in and clean it up. Well, the government's, and this is the way they sell it in the wake of such madness. They're going to tell people, well, it had to be done. When you think about it, you know, you know, we look at the mortgage debacle of 2008, 2009, and that was caused by the government manipulation of the mortgage market. Mm. There's no reason why interest rates should have been as low as they've been. I don't believe this has happened for this length of time where they were that you know artificially low. Right. You and I remember back in 2012, we just because we were getting calls. Remember, because uh, you know Romney was out there mm-hmm. talking about the fact that the Chinese are manipulating their currency, and it was yeah. like, what the hell do you think we're doing? Yeah, it, it, we're doing. What, the what same do you think thing? we're doing? We're doing yeah. the same thing, right? You know, the screaming. I can't believe. Um, <clears throat> before you yelled too loud, we're doing the same thing, and that's why we're in the situation that we're in today. We're mm-hmm. in the situation, if you want to call it regulate the 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 uh, the regulatory boards, if you want to call it manipulation of the mortgage markets and of our currency, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that's a form of regulation. When you do that, it's all regulating it. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is across the board, what they, for some stupid reason, and this just shows you how stupid many of these economists are, there's this belief that no risk gives you a better financial system. Right. Well, somebody's taking the risk and it always ends up being the taxpayer. Yeah. Yeah. We take that on. If you never had uh, an account or any dealings with Silicon Valley Bank or First Republic, you're going to pay for this. Yep. No, the banks pay for it. You don't pay for it. The banks pay for it in higher fees. Uh It's like uh, we'll tax the corporations and then you won't feel it at all because the corporations won't pass that on to the consumer. Because they have a tree out back and they just grow money for their corporate taxes. That's how they pay them. So we decide to play stupid <laughs> as a society. Oh, no, the banks have to pay for it. We don't. And where do yeah. they get their money from? No, you're right. Stop smoking weed. Yeah. that's. <laughs> you should have seen the warning when Moonbeam himself, <laughs> as he was signing recreational into law. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, he said, some yeah. people are still going to have to work. We need people to be productive. Not everybody. Not everybody can go out and just smoke pot all day. Yeah, they can. Jerry Brown. Legal. When he signed it, remember that? Yep. Yeah. It's legal now, Governor. Yeah. Your your signature is ensuring that people can. <laughs> hey, man, you hear about that bank thing? Yeah, man, that's awesome. Chase is taking it over, man. That's awesome. Whew, okay, I guess we're out of that one. Hey, did you notice your bank fees? Yeah, what's going on there? I don't know, man. A bunch of crooks, I guess. Every financial decision we make each and every day is based on risk. Yep. And it's like, well, no, we don't need to do it up here. We, right. We can, we can, we can do it. Where there's no risk for you. There's no risk for you. There's no. Well, yeah, there's no risk for you. There's a risk to the other taxpayers. It's right. like my college loan. Oh, there may be no risk. Uh, I don't have to pay it back. Well, yeah, because I'm transferring the risk to somebody else. Well, you look at this. With- with First Republic, and they, they talk about mortgages and and commercial loans. Well, because their practice was to, you know, let's go in and overcompete, knowing that uh, if it goes south, it goes south. If you go back to the countrywide thing. We talked about it then, and this is one thing that a lot of 
the analysis leaves out of it, uh, including the movie The Big Short. They didn't go the full measure. They didn't talk about, if you take Fannie and Freddie out of that equation, nobody is taking that risk. Nobody's taking the risk. Nope. If they weren't there. There would be only good paper, maybe marginal paper. They might take maybe a little bit of risk, but they don't have to do that until the government comes up and, and sends, uh, sets up Fannie and Freddie to make sure that they are too big to fail. Go to town. Go to town. We'll bundle them, and they'll all get AAA ratings. Why? Well, because the United States government is backing them. How could you not get AAA ratings? <sighs> Here we are again. Here we go. We, we got, never learn. We got a show today. We do. <laughs> 866-90-RED-EYE. When it comes to truck maintenance, sometimes it's the little things that can cause the most trouble, like cabin air filters. When properly serviced, cabin air filters provide a barrier between pollutants and harmful particles outside and your HVAC system. If you don't pay attention to them, however, this small part can turn into big trouble in no time. Breathe easy when you know which warning signs could indicate that your cabin air filters are clogged. A dirty, musty smell throughout the entire cab may indicate your cabin air filters are oversaturated and need to be replaced. Check the condition of your filters if you smell an unusual odor coming from your ventilation system. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed. Brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. Bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Red Eye Radio, he's Eric Corley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, coming up on the uh, the, the show, the, the uh, 
I, it, it's uh, Fox News says it at the, the the top story, but it's really an interesting story about Coca-Cola shareholders recently voted against a proposal to conduct a survey on how state laws restricting abortion impact the company's business performance. Mm. And uh, this is this is where you know they this uh, this organization called As You Saw a, uh, a, a a group that promotes you know ESG policies in in corporations. We're trying to get Coca-Cola to stop selling Coca-Cola in states. Think about this. Yeah. Right. Uh, in states that restricted abortion at all. Yeah. Right. And 87%, the vote was 87% of those with stock because you get more votes if you have more stock, mm. but 87% against. Yeah. And it's just like, no, sorry, we're not going to do it. Look, I think there probably was a lesson that they learned from the whole uh, Major League Baseball moving out. Remember when they were behind mm-hmm. the race baiting of the of, of the president and the president lying about the Georgia election law, uh, you know, stating that it was basically, you know, uh, Jim Crow 2.0, Jim Crow on steroids, which, of course, is the, the biggest lie you could possibly tell about that election law, an election law that showed everybody was satisfied yeah, with the elections since the law has been passed, and and so, you know, and I and I think really, I mean, you see what uh, we'll probably touch on it too. What what uh, Anheuser Busch is going through still, you know, they've they, well because you have the activists now saying, don't you dare, yep, abandon Dylan Mulvaney, right? Don't you dare abandon our cause, and then coming out with the ad with the country music and everything. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh my. It's like we've <laughs> always been about a handshake and good old American values. <laughs> yeah, what about that guy in the dress? <laughs> Never mind the guy in the dress. This is about American values. <laughs> well, it, it shows that you you better stick to selling your product. Yeah. And doing it in a non-political way. Right. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios, and he is our recording. I'm Gary McNamara, eight six six ninety Red Eye. Sometimes it's things not even involved in politics that can really help shape public opinion around uh, a certain politician, and you know this paternity case that that Hunter Biden is involved uh, in. There was a lot of comment on it yesterday. I want to play this was this was uh, Jonathan Turley uh, uh, talking about it, and uh, he was he was first asked, you know, uh, you know, who has the advantage legally? It seems in this particular uh, case, but it's really the other things that he is saying and others said yesterday that I think is just really so critically important politically for the Bidens. Oh, clear, clearly the mother, and that also includes the effort to allow this child uh, to use her family name of Biden. 
You know, Brian, I live in a city that arguably has the highest concentration of narcissistic, craven human beings on Earth. Uh, but this has shocked many of us, uh, even by Washington standards. I mean, the Biden family has refused to acknowledge this four-year-old girl. Even the dog in the Biden family got a, uh, a stocking on, on, on their fireplace this Christmas, but not this little girl. Uh, the president does not list her as a grandchild. Her father is trying to reduce his support for her. He tried to deny his uh, being her parent. Uh, and at some point, it's this nuts. girl's going to learn all that. And, you know, maybe I'm a father of four, and maybe that's why I find this so crushing. Uh, but the thought of this little girl eventually reading about how her family treated her, denied her existence, uh, is really shocking. As he writes here, the viciousness of the Biden family in dealing with this little girl is only matched by that of the media. This is Turley in, a, in his uh, uh, op-ed piece that he wrote. Reporters who profess to support women and denounce deadbeat dads have either ignored the story or belittled the mother. Roberts is, uh, the mother, is widely dismissed as a former stripper. Uh, that appears to be how she met Hunter but it is often used to paint her in the same way that the media gleefully reported on former First Lady Hillary Clinton denouncing the women who were involved uh, with her husband as mere bimbo eruptions, end of quote. The reason the media ignores Roberts is that it wants to ignore what the Bidens have done. And, you know, when you when you think about it here, the whole family has just... And and this was really when Biden was interviewing kids the other day, and they asked how many grandkids he has, and yeah. he didn't include her. Right. And when you think about it, I mean, just overall, how many families would do this? You know, we, you and I have talked about this many times before, that that we have found out in our lives that people that are pathological liars in business and politics on a consistent basis lie to their own families. Mm-hmm. You don't sit there and separate. You're not a pathological liar in one portion of your life and perfectly honest in another. Right. Yeah, you don't go home and then go, okay, let's all talk right. about what and, happened today. And you th you think about this, and probably, I'm going to guess, probably the majority of families in the United States have dealt with a child out of wedlock. I would say I don't know if it's yeah I would say it's probably over fifty percent yeah, you know yeah. but but it's it's a it's yeah. a, a heck of a lot and yeah yeah even even though when it even though when it happens uh, I, I, probably some people feel shame hesitation whatever mm -hmm. but yeah for the vast majority of people it comes down to well the the problem the if there's a problem there it's the adults who have the child it's not the child right. And when you see the viciousness as as Jonathan Turley, Jonathan Turley's a Democrat, understand this. Think about this with the Biden family together. Because you don't come to this decision where nobody mentions the child. They actually talked about we are going to reject this child. Mm -hmm. Understand the character of the Biden family. Yeah. And this gives you a great example of, the fact that they don't have character. Biden has been a pathological liar his entire life. As we know, it's why 
he couldn't run for president the first time in the 80s. Well, Hunter and Joe are both embarrassed that the child exists. I can't imagine feeling that way about a child. I know. They're embarrassed that she exists. Yep. Their political and personal lives tower over everything else. Much more important, the child is not important. And Turley points to something here, and and this is something that so many individuals, when they treat a child this way, they treat them like, you know, like nothing. As if the child isn't going to grow up and then at, at some point fully understand this. The full impact on this child has not been felt yet. In fact, will likely be cumulative all of her life. As uh, Jonathan Turley writes, the reason the media ignores uh, Navy Jones' mother, uh, London Roberts, is that it wants to ignore what the Bidens have done. Because you can't justify this. You can't. Th- this is something that, you know, when I saw it the other day and it was like he's, you know, Biden, you know, basically by not, you know, including, uh, you know, their the uh, Navy uh, in there is basically rejecting the dog. When that happens and he's talking to kids and people are like, wow, he's, re- you know, he's rejecting, yeah. the, you know, his grandchild. Right. I mean, that's, that is something outside of politics that people go, what scum? Yeah. Seriously, that's what you, right. what, what type of scum are these people to do something like this? Right. Because uh, when she became pregnant, she decided to have her child and raise it on her own. She has raised a child without a father uh, and fought one of the most powerful families in the world. Uh, when Navy Joan is, uh, is older, there's every reason for her to be proud of the struggle that her mother went through in seeking a college education and raising her against all odds. Despite Joe Biden long campaigning against deadbeat dads, his son had refused to acknowledge that he was even the father. A court forced him to confirm his paternity through DNA testing. He continued to fight paying child support for his child. Hunter's delay and evasion of filings and depositions led the court to repeatedly threaten sanctions. However, the effort to bar this child from using the Biden name has moved this scandal from the realm of hypocrisy, wow, to monstrosity. Yeah. It is hard to imagine the pain that this child will experience upon learning how the Bidens erased any reference to her and fought even her ability to claim to be a member of their family. Even the Bidens' dogs and cats got stockings at Christmas, but not their granddaughter, Navy Joan. Understand, this is written by Jonathan Turley, Mm -hmm. a Democrat, a lifelong Democrat. Uh, But their... uh, the, the Biden's dogs and cats got stockings at Christmas, but not their granddaughter, Navy Joan, uh, whom they have never asked to even see, let alone support. After opposing efforts to even establish that he is her father and his continued effort to limit child support, Hunter is telling the court that he would not want the child to bear his name for her own good, 
uh, and to guarantee her a peaceful existence. Wow. Uh, if one to if one were to combine all of Hunter's influence peddling, drug abuse, orgies, and prostitution controversies, uh, they would not hold a candle to the other depravity shown towards this little girl. Despite assembling a new legion of doom of high-priced lawyers uh, and advisors, Hunter is claiming that uh, he simply cannot meet the demands of the child support given his opposition to such support for years and reported millions in foreign dealings. Uh, it would seem transparently absurd. Same thing with Andrew McCarthy wrote the same thing hmm. uh, uh, yesterday in uh, I don't know if it was the New York Post or National Review that he was in. Uh, he said, it, I, as I observed this morning, it boggles, this is Andrew McCarthy now, it boggles the mind that the Bidens have not settled this case given the goo gobs of money they have reaped from cashing in on Joe Biden's political influence with operatives in foreign governments, for the most part regimes that are deeply corrupt and hostile to the United States. From communist China alone, Hunter and his family took in 10-digit compensation though their apparent labor was uh, being, uh, though their only apparent labor was being related to the guy who was steering the Obama administration China policy while planning to run for the White House, which is Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and and sometimes it's something like this that will change people's minds because you go, Mike, could you imagine if this was, imagine if this was Trump or any Republican? Well, this is, and and look, it is who the Bidens are. Uh, Joe Biden has made up a series of lies, including uh, lies about how his first wife passed. And these lies have continued for years. It is no shocker to me. But it is evidence, if you were looking for any current evidence, something going on, being dealt with right now. Look no further than this case and how they're and and how they're treating the child. Really, the court case is secondary. It's always, in fact, any good judge will tell you what happened between you two. What's going on between you two? I don't care about. It's the welfare of this child. And right now, the only one working. To that effect, to improve and maintain the welfare of that child is its, is her mother. And you can't make the case otherwise. Joe and Hunter both ignore this child like its life doesn't exist. That's because they don't put the value in lives. No, they don't. And, you know, you and I talked about many times before that what because we live in a different world. You know, we we must live uh, uh, in those uh, who said it the other day that uh, the uh, the areas are. Oh, Fauci. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right. The areas around the country that if uh, you say something, they think the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I know people in <laughs> parts of the country didn't <laughs> understand what I was saying. Right. Fauci. And but. Uh, but we've always been perversely fascinated 
by how, and we've used Biden as an example, everybody's a pathological liar. They lie about everything. And we say, does anybody ever come up to them and, and friends, anybody, and say, stop lying? Because I know if I did that, <laughs> my father would be the first one. And my brother and, and my sisters, why are you lying? My friends, mm-hmm. my best friends, if I was lying every day. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not true what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I'm catching you every day saying yeah. things that aren't true. Why are you doing that? Well, this doesn't happen because they're all immoral. Right. They're all immoral, so they don't. it's a normal part of their life. Immorality is a normal part of their life. Show me one person in their family that's fighting to help protect this child. No one. No one. It's if she is as if she doesn't she even doesn't exist. She doesn't exist. Don't mention her name. If we close our eyes and continue this cruelty, maybe one day she'll just go away. Maybe they'll just move far away and we'll never have to deal with the child again. Now Never mind what the child goes through. Right. They don't care. That's sick. 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. Coming up, uh, the Hollywood strike, how that might affect uh, things. We'll, we'll get to that. We have just I, I brought that up because we're having an interesting conversation off the air on uh, that. Plus, uh, on this uh, paternity suit that Hunter Biden's involved in, mm-hmm. how this could affect everything else. Mm-hmm. Because now he's going to have to show his financial records. The laptop actually came up. I mean, these lawyers are bubbling well, and stumbling yeah, this is because, likely. Of the di- because of the two different cases. Uh, right. right. Well, this is likely why there hasn't been a settlement with the mother. There could be a buyout. Basically, it's based on what the court decides is reasonable for child support over the life of that child up until the age of 18. There could have been a buyout. I know. And Hunter has the money. Except in the buyout, he would be acknowledging he has the money. But he's going to go through that anyway, apparently. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio, 866-90-RED-EYE. Welcome and good morning. Thank you for being here. Download our app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. Well, I just want to uh, get to the the uh, the actual legal part of the Hunter Biden uh, paternity case and 
part of the problem that uh, he's going to have. Let's talk to, or let's talk to, let, let's hear from uh, Jonathan Turley, uh, the constitutional law professor who is a Democrat, just so everybody knows. Yeah. Here we go. Well, karma is a tough thing. I, they, they really, I think, uh, overplayed their hand here by trying to avoid parental uh, support. He has put, Hunter Biden has put into play his own finances. Well, one source of knowing of what money Hunter has is the laptop. And his own counsel went into this Arkansas court and tried once again to suggest that, well, maybe this isn't his laptop. And the judge jumped all over him and said, wait, hold it. You're his lawyer. Is it his laptop or not? And the guy backpedaled. Uh, but these games are going to have to stop. But the irony is, that this effort could really backfire across the board. Yeah. He's under investigation in Delaware, in Washington, and he may have just tripped the wire on this one uh, by once again uh, trying to reduce his support for his own child. I mean, it's just, it was it was bizarre if you read the transcript mm-hmm. of the lawyer and uh, the, the, the judge. Uh, I have it to hear. Uh, this could all be interesting. At uh, the last hearing, one of Hunter's lawyers, Brent Langton, asked Judge Meyer to preclude an expert witness whom Robert plans to call about financial evidence gleaned from Hunter's laptop. As we've previously noted, Team Biden has been incoherently sly about the laptop, simultaneously claiming, and we brought this up yesterday on yesterday's show, A, it might not be his, but B, his privacy has been unlawfully invaded by the publication of its contents. <laughs> you can't do both. You can't say it might not be mine, but my privacy has been unlawfully invaded by the publication. We've been asking this, of, and this of, is back and of, forth of the, of the throughout this. It's like, well, wait a minute. One minute his lawyers are admitting it's his. Yes. Remember the first time they filed something? We were like, oh, well, you've just admitted thank it's yours. Yeah, you submit it. That makes the rest of this much easier. And then they go back to the well. We we, we don't know. It, it might not. It might not be his. Yeah, right. And then it says, not surprisingly, then uh, the lawyer Hunter Biden's lawyer slipped into a passive voice mode, telling the judge there has never been an acknowledgement. From his client that the oh, laptop is his. You want you want to right. anger a judge? Right. Well, the judge then replied, well, let's clear that issue up right now. Is it your client's laptop <laughs> or not? <laughs> there you go. There's one way to clear it up. Yes or no. And as Andrew is Mac- it his? And, and, and as Andrew McCarthy writes here, as we approach three years since the laptop's emergence, Biden's lawyer stammered, Quote, I I am not in a position to even begin to answer that question. Eventually, though, the counsel settled on, quote, it's not my client's laptop as far as I know. He's never accepted that it's his laptop, end of quote. I would, if I were the judge, I would say, well, we're we're not going any further. We're going to have a hearing based solely on establishing whether or not it's his laptop. Well, that probably will come on May 12th when uh, they have to have all their financial records there. Yeah. Because you don't go on without it. Because otherwise, you're not here. You have no case. 
if you're saying, it might not be his, then you might not be in this courtroom. Bye. Well, is the judge going to go back and and say, okay, let me look at the whole thing with the laptop. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said this, you said this. Why would you say this if it wasn't his laptop? Right. Well, you have the judge. The judge will probably go back and look at that and say, well, wait a minute. You came out and you stated Mm -hmm. that my client's, you know, my my client's privacy. If it's not his laptop, right? Then why would you say that his privacy might be violated? Right. Can't claim that. Well, it's going to be a zoo. No, I mean, it's it's going to be very and simple. Uh, you have no standing here unless you're claiming the laptop. Are you claiming the laptop or not? If not, bye. Get out. Can't, Case dismissed. Can't believe there hasn't been a settlement on this before. I mean, why would you? Because you're dragging everything now. You're, n- number one, you're dragging everything of the the scandals you're already involved in and the influence peddling front and center as to you know where your money has come from i want to go back and look at all your right which which the judge can do yeah in this case they can go back right. and look and say well wait a minute where and they can look at and say well you've give, given contradictory evidence here i'm going to go back and look at the laptop myself to see if any of it's legit did you get this money here did you get this money here did you get this money here the judge certainly can ask questions in this case can he not Oh yeah, and, and and the and the uh, if the defense, you know the the to, just to find out, you know what is an accurate record, well, because you, right. you the judge needs to know what the accurate records are to find out how much money you actually have. They seem to be fighting it, which encourages the judge to do their own investigation outside of the mother's attorneys mm-hmm. attempting to do it. Mm-hmm. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the judge to say she can't bring the laptop into it. Well, wait a minute. You brought it into it when you said, you know, on this day, and you sent, didn't they send out some kind of cease and desist? Wasn't that the whole thing on um, his, on, his attorney? His, his attorneys yeah. actually, but maybe it wasn't a cease and desist, but they the, his attorneys actually wrote. That his privacy was being violated. And that's when it was, oh, they've just admitted the laptop is theirs. Right. The judge isn't going to ignore that. No, 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 no. No, not at all. And so you look at all this going on and you just say, I I would have raised whatever money I needed. If I were the Bidens from what I know right now, I would have raised whatever money I need to make a final settlement. Boom. Yes. Five million. Right. There you go. Right. You raise it however you're you... going to get to that eventually. The court's going to come out. You either have the court come in and, and say, no, this is what I want. I want this. Or you reach an agreement between the two parties and the court's out of it. That, that That's just how it works. So you can decide to do this. You can agree to do this. Pushing it down the road almost always in a case like this makes it much more expensive and i don't mean lawyers fees yeah it, to me it's just amazing that they've let it they've let it get this far i'd never let it get this far. and like i said then the other stuff completely outside of how this leads to hunter biden's finances which leads right to influence peddling of the president right is the horrible optics right of the entire family disowning 
Joe Biden and Jill Biden's granddaughter. Yeah. And as if she doesn't exist. I mean, that just in itself, you want something in popular culture that will turn people off. That's one of the TMZ kind of stories where people go, well, this is disgusting. Now, you could have in your settlement, you could have asked for Biden's uh, uh, Hunter Biden's attorneys could have asked for an NDA. Sign the NDA, and here's the settlement. I don't know if that offer... The thing is, is you don't ever hear about the offers if, if there was an offer made. There could have been offers made. I I don't know if that's the case. I, I'm guessing the mother probably would have let that known, be known to the media. But maybe not. But you could have said, all right, non-disclosure. Neither party can talk about the terms of the settlement. And here's the settlement. You agree to it, and here it is. Because, look, it's it would likely leak out. But the thing is, is if you could have got this done, let's say you did this in December. We probably wouldn't be talking about it right now. No. Well, if I that think- settlement had been done and was history... That discussion is not going to happen. This is this is the you know this is <laughs> it goes back to Obama. Never underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to f things up. Yeah, we'll throw Hunter into the mix too, well, because to, you're to stretching it... this thing out. So now the laptop and the you know the the child the the situation with his with his child are both now merging, becoming bigger. Yeah, yeah. It is the snowball from hell. And, and and there's no way, you know, you can't sit there and say, well, Trump is the reason they've rejected their granddaughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, you can't, you can't use that. And to me, that goes right. You know, you want to go, you want to go to the character of a family. Yeah. You know, it's right there. I mean, that, that's where it is. You shut up and you find some way to make a deal mm-hmm. and you do it. But now... The thing is, because of uh, this, wouldn't even be an issue, because you know, if if they weren't bringing up the granddaughter now, it wouldn't be an issue. But it's an issue now because it's about the 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 court, which immediately gets the court case that immediately gets people interested in it. But then it's everything. Like I said, when I saw Biden being asked by the the, the little girl, you know, how many grandchildren he had, mm-hmm. and I forgot how many it is. It was if he said four, it's supposed to be five. And the media got a hold of that one. I went, whoa, that's just horrible. And then, you know, Jonathan Turley coming out and talking about it. And, you know, just when when you when you hear that, that, you know, here we go. I mean, this is they have stockings up for the their cats and dogs, but none for their, you know, their granddaughter, who they've completely and totally rejected as if she doesn't even exist. Think about this. Two children and Al Roker accomplished something the media has been trying to do since he took office. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, yeah. where, what's the last time I left the country? I, I don't even remember. A child yells, Ireland. Yeah. Dude, it was last week. Oh, yeah, 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 Ireland. Another child. How many grandchildren do you have? He falls one short. And then Al Roker. And the Easter Bunny. And the Easter Bunny. 
Yeah, we're not supposed to talk about it right now, Al, but it's you. It's Al Roker. Nobody's even watching you. So, yeah, we're going to run. No, but you think about it. The White House is thinking, all right, we can say we're taking questions from children. And then that blows up in his face. (laughs) I was waiting. I was waiting for, does Hunter's child have a laptop? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a tablet? Oh, man. Uh, what yeah. what games does his child like to play on his laptop? My youngest was over at the house, my number eight. He had his first race over the weekend, by the way. He didn't win, but that's because everybody else is a cheater. Uh, but he was on a laptop. He's playing this little game. I'm what, like, what race? Four years old. He races his little car. Oh. You know, the little, uh, um, his is battery driven. Um, but people showed up with nothing but modified cars, if, they, if you could call them cars. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. But we started our racing career at the age of four. We get to the house, and he's playing on, on the laptop. He's playing a racing game, of course. It's amazing to watch a four-year-old on a laptop. I was trying to help him navigate. He goes, no, 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 You do that over here. No, no, you choose your car over here. You know... This is the thing that that far too many people like Hunter Biden miss out on. You have to put the value in that life. How could you not love that child? I know. I know. Again, it shows the character of the of of the Biden family. Yes. Which exactly. is a complete lack of right of of character across the board. Yeah. This is not just Hunter Biden, this is Joe Biden, this is Jill Biden. I mean, this taints. I mean, it's a horrible. When I saw it the other day and then you you, know, you just start reading on it, you're just you're absolutely disgusted. Yeah. You know, it makes you sick. Uh, you know, this is a this is a child. They don't give a damn about people. We said this about the border. They didn't care. They don't care if people die at the border. They didn't care about COVID coming into the country. They they're locking they're, they're promoting locking down everything. Well, at the same time, okay, people coming across the border with COVID, it was no big deal. And and everything where they claim that they care, they don't care. They don't care about crime in the inner city. No. They don't care. You know, you know, they the all the, the fund the police, you know, they didn't care about that until they realized this could affect our election. So for the next year and a half, we have to pretend we're not for defunding the police. You know, in desperation, they'll come out and and at times try to make it sound like we're in the middle, but we all know they're not. But there is no caring for people that comes out of the Biden family. And this is, this is the thing you can point at and go, whoa. And it's not political, Eric. You cannot look at this. There's no way you can look at this and not say, if you're a Democrat or Republican, this is reprehensible. This is sick. This is disgusting. And sorry, you can throw Trump's name in there and DeSantis's name in there, and it doesn't move the needle at all. That's why the media is ignoring it. Yeah. They can't touch this thing. It's brutal. How do you report it in a way that doesn't come across as absolutely disgusting? Well, you have a single mom, and then the only thing they'll do if they write about it is say, yeah, she's a stripper. Stripper, right. Yeah. Okay. All right. 866-90-RED-EYE. Surviving and thriving as an owner-operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. 
Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. Costs are not the same each month. If 9,600 miles are driven one month and 10,000 miles the next, two different sets of costs apply for each month. For example, if your tractor payment is $1,850 per month and you drive 9,600 miles in the month, your tractor payment is costing you 19.3 cents per mile. Drive 10,000 miles, though, and that same payment will cost you 18.5 cents per mile. This is one of your major fixed costs while paying off a truck loan. The difference in this example is only a fraction of a cent, which may seem like small change, but it ultimately amounts to $960 more annually on the bottom line. Because though fixed costs do not go down over time, you can reduce your cost per mile with more paid miles. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Uh, coming up, well, uh, it looks like uh, Biden has invited Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, to start negotiations on the debt ceiling. All right. Now, the question is, is it really a negotiation, or is it a way to frame the Republicans' plan as being horrible? I mean, that's all part of negotiations to begin with. But uh, the uh, president has invited uh, Kevin McCarthy there. I mean, Schumer the other day came out and was saying, yes, we need to negotiate to expose. I don't see how the Republicans can lose this one. I don't know how you lose it in, uh, except if you have to start actually cutting from from people, because that's the thing. Uh, I think the consensus uh, from Republicans is we need to cut, but nobody can feel it. Yeah, there can't be an effect. There can't be an effect, which, uh, and as we have said, uh, what eventually they come up with is a, even what the Republicans are proposing is just a trickle. It really doesn't do any, doesn't do anything. I mean, it may, it, it may, uh, you know, lengthen the time before we are in financial doom a year or two, but we're still heading down the same path, yeah. just at a slower rate. Right. But we'll talk about that, plus the Hollywood strike and a whole bunch more coming up. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Consider yourself canceled if you don't listen nightly. Red Eye Radio. 
It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. So the uh, writers are on strike. Uh, yeah, officially they will be here in about uh, 25 minutes. And so uh, their contract, that's when their contract expires. What's interesting is here that, um, you know, the writers basically are making the claim that uh, we, you know, the, the jobs have dwindled down. The, the pay has dwindled down because of streaming. So back in the day, there used to be at least 20 episodes on network TV per season. Mm-hmm. It was usually on a sitcom 22 weeks. So then you would get residuals. Residuals would work this way. It would go to DVD sales, and then it would jump to syndication. Right. Now it is more likely that it jumps not to DVD sales. It's rare for a show to go to DVD sales. It goes to streaming. And this is their part of their contention, that the streaming... Uh, residuals that they get, royalties as writers, are hardlined. They're they they basically hit a brick wall once it gets to streaming. They don't have the residuals that they would for you know like imagine a show like Everybody Loves Raymond or Seinfeld mm-hmm. being in syndication forever. I mean those are your two, I guess, biggest examples. Friends probably another one, but Friends ended up. And I think Seinfeld, too, ended up on streaming. But I think they're both also, I don't know if Seinfeld is on any, they are, are they still on TBS? On TV? I think they still are on TV. So some. Yeah, they're on CW, too. Are they? Okay. So some will remain in that open syndication, then also jump on streaming. And it may be a limited time on streaming. But point is, is that with so many shows being created just for streaming, a season is eight, maybe ten episodes. And you don't need as many writers. So one of the sticking points here in this negotiation is that the writers want this put in the contract, the Writers Guild, once it put in the contract that they would employ a certain number of writers per season, whether they're needed for every episode or not. So whether they need that many writers, there would be a minimum number of writers that you would have to basically have on set. I don't see that one going very far. And isn't that one also, though, because I was reading Variety magazine about the, the, the two top issues is that issue plus AI. Yeah, right. uh, and yeah. and yeah. but but that would be the fact that they don't want AI to take to, over. Yeah, to take over the actual mm-hmm. writing credits of of any writers out there. Mm-hmm. They have no problem. The the uh, writing guild has no problem if the writers use AI to help you know leapfrog into stories and things right. like that. Yeah, the but, writers would take it from AI and then punch it up and then right. it would go to final script. Yeah, right. And so uh, so they they. They want to use it, but they don't want Hollywood to use it to replace them. Right. It, which or, gets, or, which actually, that's part of the right. minimum number of writers right, exactly. on a right. show. Mm-hmm. And so 
you would have to have a minimum number of basically of humans, of of chat GPT uh, operators. <laughs> because ultimately, what it comes down to is that you are, and we have been seeing this for years, their industry is changing drastically. Uh, you have, uh, an, by the way, I'm look, trying to find if uh, I'm guessing that that Taylor Sheridan, who writes every word of all of his shows. Yeah. There are no other writers on his shows. But I'm guessing he's Writers Guild. And, you know, the ones that are in production, that's one thing. The immediate effect will be late night television. Seth Meyers actually did a segment on it uh, the other night and said, okay, if you if something happens and we don't show up one night, know that that's not what we wanted, but, uh, you know, that's what will be going on. And so the late night shows won't have writers. Uh, Seth Meyers, in fact, is part of the Writers Guild. It says he's been nominated for the Writers Guild of America Award, Taylor mm-hmm. Sheridan, so he must be in it. Yeah, I'm guessing. I'm, yeah. I don't know how he wouldn't be. Yeah, so, you know, shows like that, though, if he's already written that script and it's already on to production, which is how it's going to work, if it's already in production, then they can continue that production. My question would be, because he's the only writer, and this is unique to his productions, is if you need to change the script at some point, <laughs> which only he could do. Right. right. Well, only a writer could do, but he's right. the only writer. writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the bigger thing with, with uh, his main production, Yellowstone, is whether or not they're going to continue. Mm-hmm. That's been the question for a long time and, and uh, well, for the last year or so, with the uh, the idea that Kevin Costner essentially wants more home time and that's that that inevitably happens. The shows become too expensive. This is what happened with the late late show with uh, James Corden. What did you say? How much did were they twenty losing? million in the hole every year? Wow, sixty five million in production costs, forty five million in what the revenue was for the show. They were bleeding cash, and wow. because you have to ask yourself, uh, James Corden isn't old. And I know he says, well, we wanted to go back to London and raise our children there. And it was a you know critical point. And I get that. I understand that. Uh, there, I, I believe that. I, but I also believe that if there was a way for him to uh, stay in that, if it were profitable, they would have made a huge offer for him mm-hmm. to stay. Right. And it was not profitable. But that happens with a lot of shows that become successful. His didn't have the viewers that Seth Meyers has. He had just under a million viewers average. Uh, audience of just under a million. It was like nine hundred ninety-seven thousand, and Seth Meyers has um, roughly a hundred thousand more. That's not uh, a lot. viewers every night. No, um, but that's you know again. Keep in mind this is late, late, late night TV. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is that's not a lot. I mean, is that hundred thousand? The difference between losing twenty million and making twenty million? No, 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 no. No, it's the production. Seth Meyers doesn't have near the production costs either. Oh, okay. Because, All right, okay. That's... Because Corden would do these things where he would go out and he would fly in a jet with Tom Cruise. 
I mean, he did these enormous productions that were far above the pay scale of the show. Okay. And so that's something Seth Meyers doesn't do. I mean, he has production costs, but well, then he knew. Here. Then he knew he probably couldn't run the same show that he wished to run. Yeah. And stay profitable, and then the writing's on the wall, and you're done. Well, and it, it really ramped up since he signed his uh, his last deal, his last three year deal, and and nobody nobody seems to know what his pay was. He was making between four and five million between uh, James Corden was up until um, per year up until his last three year extension, but there was no word on how much it increased with the last th- well, three years, and he ramped up the production. Mm-hmm. To go through, I mean, it was it just okay. went through the roof. Okay, because I just you know how is how is that allowed? I mean, how do you ever get to that point? I mean, oh, this, they, this, is, this is sort of like to me talk show rescue. I mean, well, how no, do you get they, to the point of losing twenty million? What they when you were losing five or the mm-hmm. projection there with mm-hmm. you knew you weren't going to. I mean, there's there's a reasonable expectation of what your ad revenue is going to be based on what your uh, production costs are going to be. Well, you you hope that the cost per point. Is going to pan out. In other words, you hope that your audience is going to grow significantly by investing more, and that didn't pan out. And and this is exactly what happens with a lot of cable shows. I think you're being delusional if you believe you're going to have this huge run where this massive audience is there. Now Yellowstone, you know they've they've had a huge audience, um, uh, but it's still getting to the point of being too expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. it it will. That's Exactly what happens. It happens with every show that has any life at all. And then it happens, you know, too, with, uh, you know, um, you look at The Walking Dead. I mean, they had, they were, they were crushing it in the ratings in the early days. And that changed. And then, you know, next thing you know, the, the, the top guy, the, the, the main star of the show is, is out. I think they're. I mean, they're. They're. they're that show's over. I think they're still going to do the few movies that they were planning on doing, like follow-up movies. I don't even know if that's still in the works. But these shows become enormously expensive, and what they find is, is when you do something for streaming, you may notice that with a lot of streaming shows and cable shows, Yellowstone included. You have your main top stars. Mm-hmm. You have your, you know, four, maybe five. And then you have a lot of the character actors that come in. They're good actors and everything else, but they don't, they can't command that kind of pay. And so that's where you save. You save on bringing in very good actors, but they're not going to have the contract that a Kevin Costner would, would have, for example, on the Yellowstone. Those are the things, and, and Costner didn't expect his to go that far. He didn't expect the show to last that long. And so now, you know, you look at, at where the writers are. My question for anybody in that, we, we talked about this with Google. Well, you had to have known that AI was coming mm-hmm. and that your entire design for the company, what you were helping to create was the AI that was right. eventually quite possibly going to put you out of work. Well, it's not that the writers were creating streaming, but they had to have seen the writing on the wall when Netflix switched over from a primarily a mail-out DVD service right. to streaming and making that their primary, and now they don't even mail DVDs. Right. They stopped that. You know, so 
when you see that, my question would be, did you not believe that that was going to be the end? Because if you get eight or ten episodes and there are no residuals, you know, the, you know, you're, what they're saying is it's more like gig work. It's more like part-time work. Now. Right, yeah. And I yep. get it. I mean, it would be horrible. But it's kind of where the audience is now, you know? I mean, YouTube. How many creators are, are crushing it out there? They don't have any writers. I can't tell you. Uh, I just I'm. I watch more YouTube than anything else. Right. It's where your audience because, is gone because you it's know? like with with the editing software that exists out there. You can be an amateur and you can yep. you can produce yep. a great piece of video that's as yep. good as uh, any TV was producing uh, uh, ten year, ten years ago. Some or, are, or even now, some are still using in some segments that they do. Still using their cell phones. Yeah. And and so, you know, I mean, they, they use GoPro. They use, you know, more advanced equipment sometimes, but not always. And, no. and the, the point is, is that the entertainment, our attention is is being divided with so many entertainment options out there right now. It was inevitable that this kind of work was going to, Here's here's the way. Am I attracted to YouTube because so much of the stuff I watch is fifteen to twenty minutes instead of an yes. hour? Yeah. No, they've actually got that down to a science. It's the sweet spot is thirty minutes or slightly less. Yep. I just I, I you know, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, with I don't I don't know. I I don't I never sit down anymore and say I have an hour to watch Be- this. It, or I have two exactly. hours to watch a movie. I just because I don't it's have, not a commitment, right. you can go, oh, I've got time to watch this. But if it's 15 to 20 minutes to catch this, so this really yep. looks interesting, yeah. then I'm done. Yep. That's a cup of coffee, and then I'm done. Exactly. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, Coming up following uh, the top of uh, the hour, the uh, the debt ceiling. A uh, whole bunch of uh, other different uh, topics out there. This uh, one that uh, shows where money is being moved in this country by people mm-hmm. moving. Mm-hmm. New York's income sinks nearly $16 billion dollars. Compared to pre-COVID, as residents flee at alarming rate, that's from the New York Post. Uh, we will get uh, to that. Plus, here, look at this. We talked about this yesterday, but we'll talk about it, uh, about it again today. Chicago's sanctuary city awakening. Yeah, we invited everybody from the world to come here, legal or not, right, to our city, right. And now we're saying we don't want to pay for it, right. We're saying we don't want them here. Right. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. 
It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome and good morning. Thanks so much for being here. (laughs) Sorry, just reading this here. Uh, Is right-wing media giving Kamala Harris a bad rap? The word salad transcripts speak for themselves. Brittany Bernstein, National Review, talking about Eugene Robinson last week in a column. Mm. Writing that uh, the vice president gets a bad rap. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. The first duty of uh, uh, of the job is to avoid upstaging the president, which means surrendering any political autonomy and never being out in front of the West Wing on any issue. He wrote in defense of Harris last week. He added that Harris has been assigned the unenviable task of being in charge of the border. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time when there was absolutely no possibility of getting Congress to pass comprehensive immigration reform that might reduce the flow of would-be migrants or to get her uh, boss, Joe Biden, to change his executive orders on the border. Yeah, But he didn't stop there. Robinson went on to argue that Harris's critics are actually wrong about when she delivers meaningless messages when she speaks. It's not that Harris is incapable of saying anything of substance (laughs) when called upon to deliver a speech or sit for an interview. No, she has just become someone who has lost her way in the wilderness of syntax. (laughs) By the way, that's, you know the the best thing is about Gene Robinson using that phrase. It is that shows the same, that he's smoking weed. It's the same kind of gobbledygook. <laughs> yeah. That Kamala Harris. It's <laughs> funny because his explanation is to use the same incoherent and meaningless phrases. Yeah. To defend Kamala Harris, that's what I found interesting. Yeah. She is the victim of a right wing echo chamber. Mm-hmm who is accusing her of speaking word salad. He said, though, it is true that she often burdens her sentences with more dependent clauses than they can bear. That's actually a quote. And verbatim transcripts of her remarks can sometimes be hard to follow, end of quote. Well, that's exactly what we have said, correct? Dude, you're not helping. I know. But she also connects powerfully. This is the best ever. (laughs) This is the best ever. But she also connects. This is a quote from Eugene Robinson. Uh But she also connects powerfully with audiences and communicates her message, even if it might be hard to diagram. (laughs) Nobody has any Uh idea what the hell she's saying, but they relate to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, he's getting he's getting better weed than she is. I know. <laughs> I don't know where you're buying it, but I'm just thinking. I'm sorry, but I am the walrus. The lyrics: 
everybody smoking pot, everybody smoking pot. Every, that's what yeah. in my mind right now. It's just like well, I mean, everybody. Because it, we live in this delusional world where it's like the Eugene Robinson is defending Kamala Harris and saying she's a great communicator using the same gobbledygook word salads that she's using. And and also demonstrating that her critics are right. Yes. He's confirming what all of her critics are saying. And then saying, yeah, but she still connects to an audience, even though it's impossible to follow what she's saying. <laughs> With zero proof that she's connecting to an audience. <laughs> I think the left-wing echo chamber may be a problem for her, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how about you just ignore it? You're not doing her any justice here. Wow. And now you see, whether it's like Chris Coons over the weekend, mm -hmm. when he was like, oh, no, 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 Kamala Harris, oh, she's set to be president of the United States. Yeah. If Biden couldn't do it, oh, no, she's like, and going, and it's like you're watching this as he's talking about, no, Biden, mentally smart, everything. And I'm like, no, but... And I'm like, that's, that's, he actually was doing pretty good gaslighting. Mm -hmm. Because everybody knows, everybody watching him over the weekend, Senator Coons talk about it, everybody knows it's a lie. Yeah. Everybody knows Biden's having trouble. Every single day something is coming. I forgot what it was yesterday. There was a bunch of different things that he said yesterday where people went, huh? What? Yeah. You got to be kidding. Oh, no. Cringe. And then Harris, the same thing. And it seems like that. The more that Harris is out there, the more that she uses the word salad as a crutch. Yeah. And I don't know why they just don't say, here's a teleprompter, never leave it. Well, yesterday they were talking about uh, small businesses and, and, and you know, they had their little thing in the Rose Garden. And Biden is standing to her right over her right shoulder and he's got the worst i don't know where the hell i'm at look on his face that i've seen yet and she introduces she sticks to the prompter by the way and introduces the person to represent you know the the small business and the whole thing and Biden then looks at the guest who is then speaking. He's lost. I mean, he's just not there. And I'm thinking to myself, the squint is worse than the sunglasses. Because really, yeah, it's, right. it's yeah. a question between the two, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, does he want to pretend he's his own Secret Service agent? Or does he want to look completely lost put the sunglasses on him when you're going to have him outside for any length of time you're going to get almost no criticism there but someone made the decision okay no glasses today bad decision because he's squinting and when he squints his entire face distorts and he looks like who are you people yeah, he looks lost. Hey, you kids, get know. out of my yard. That's yeah. not the look you want on his face. There needs to be some self-awareness. I mean, after all, 
you know, show the man some dignity. He's a grandfather of four. Or is it five? It's ridiculous that somebody can't think of that. If he's going to be out there for any length of time, get the guy some glasses. And you know what? COVID's not completely over. Put a mask on him. <laughs> I mean, you can you can work the aesthetics of this a lot better. I don't know what you do, if anything, to help the VP. I, I just don't think there's anything you can do. What I watched, which was live yesterday, she stuck to the prompter. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't her. Somebody else had written those well, words. I'm still asking the question, when she does the word salad, is that always ad lib? Well, Is it half ad lib? Is it? Does she start I, reading one sentence think, and go off on I her own? I think it's her. I would think so, too. I just can't imagine it would be that bad on the teleprompter. Well, because that's why, after watching yesterday, she stayed on the teleprompter, and it was not the same. She was making, it was it was a wah, 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 wah moment, but it was not what you normally get from her. And I think there could have been, I, I don't know, maybe yesterday was just an outlier. But... It seemed, I, I wondered while I was watching it, oh, did somebody get the message? Write for her everything she's going to say and tell her, Never. don't step away right. from the script. Don't vary. Say these words. And no, because it's bad. Yesterday it's bad. was... Fine. I mean, I, I didn't watch the entire presentation. Once they brought up the other speaker and she was done, I thought, okay, I've seen what I was there to see. Right. Because I was waiting for it. When I saw the video streaming and it popped up and I saw the video streaming, I thought, oh, I got to listen in. I even put headphones on for it. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I didn't miss a word. And it was fine. She was on script. And so that makes me believe this is her. And I don't know how that goes, you know, if you're going to have a uh, vice presidential debate, if they're going to have any. I'm guessing they're going to have some. But she's going to be off script if they do. That's the whole point. Hey, you know, it's interesting. You're just talking about the debate. See, Trump's going to do a... CNN presidential town hall. You think they're trying to take advantage of the Fox News situation? Because morning anchor Caitlin Collins will moderate the event. Mm -hmm. And she used to work for the Daily Caller. Mm -hmm. So you're not, <laughs> you're not, you're not, by the way, Tucker Carlson used to run the Daily Caller a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. But, and, and, and so it's not like Jim Acosta is going to be asking questions. She's going to moderate it with Republicans from New Hampshire. So Republicans will be there, she'll be there, and then and it's like the left is going crazy because they're they're like, well, this is obvious a ploy to just increase ratings by being Trump friendly. It's like, well, duh, right? Yeah, <laughs> duh. Like Oberman went nuts. 
Yeah. <laughs> See yeah. if I can find what do I can find the Overman thing here? Would he? Uh, I mean, Overman just went. Uh, Overman went crazy on it. You know, saying their their horseship is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, W H O R E S H I P is complete. Yeah. <laughs> From his basement, of course, he was in his basement. Right, uh, but yeah. <laughs> when I saw that, I went, "Oh, okay." So why did Trump agree to do CNN? It's like, okay, Caitlin Collins, all Republicans. Oh, okay, he made the deal. The deal was no Jim Acosta, no this. Give me a friendly audience. Give me a at least not a a uh, adversarial moderator. Make it a town hall where the people ask the question that are Republicans. From New Hampshire, I win, CNN wins. Yeah. Okay. That's my guess. That's my guess. Make sure next time you ask for Chris Wallace. (laughs) Keep it fair and balanced. (laughs) Oh, here we go. If they can look, if they can do that, that's that's fine. I mean, who's left at CNN? You know, I mean, because typically that would have been a Don Lemon doing that town hall. Or Costa. Yeah. So, you Wolf, know. Wolf Blitzer. Yeah. Is Wolf still there? He's still there, isn't he? Still. So these, you know. Still chugging along. If you can if you can do a CNN town hall. Well, here's my, here's my question. Why would you do that for such a small audience? Because you'll bring in your whole thing is to bring people. I know why CNN wants wants to do it. Well, Trump and well, Trump wants to do it because they'll they'll get record numbers. It'll be the highest mm-hmm. CNN audience that he can promote, and he's taken away from Fox. Well, let's face it. With CNN, I could be on CNN, and it would be a record breaking right. audience. <laughs> Not as great as Trump. Well, I didn't say that, and that and that's what they're looking for. Well, and, yeah, but you've got, I mean, you you got nobody watching. Here's oh, my question. Oh, I know, but that's the point. People, it, but, will, people will turn over. I mean, if, if they're averaging, yeah. averaging 600,000 mm. and you get 2 million to watch that night, mm. you've just defeated Fox. You've, you've, remember, they're not happy with Fox. Mm-hmm. So no, Trump, I, don't, I don't know anybody so, he so is th- happy with. So I think, I think Trump's <laughs> fine to do it. He probably could set the terms to CNN because... They want to, you know, they're moving away from being, uh, well, I with Jeff Lick, they're trying to move away from being far left. Mm. So they bring Trump on. They own the evening. It'll be 9 p.m. Eastern time on May 10th. Mm-hmm. They do this thing very, you know, very, you know, right now mm-hmm. when Fox's numbers are down, they take more. They can, bra- CNN can brag about it. Trump will brag like crazy about the fact that the highest audience they've had even if it's small compared to what Fox may have had in the past, mm-hmm. if they get two million ago, we did double what they normally did, and we pulled a ton of people over from Fox News to watch us. Mm-hmm. And so he accomplishes what he wants. He gets a mostly friendly audience, and and I don't well, I don't, I, I don't I, know. What I, I wonder about that though. I mean, I I do wonder about the audience. I wonder what the questions are going to be like. This is something that that the GOP itself has to remember. There are a lot of people in 
every state GOP voters that might be friendly to you, but they've got a ton of questions during the primary. Well, I don't think he's, uh, you know, I, I think probably what he doesn't want is, for example, every question to be on the civil rape case going on right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. Uh, or um, trying to think of what would it be the or, or, or anything um, of the other cases of the other cases. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he wants to constant barrage of that. And if you know, I, and I don't well, know, I, okay, I don't, but can you can you say we're not going to take any of those questions? No, no, you'll get those questions. But then they'll probably look to see what questions people have. CNN mm-hmm. will pre-question the people and say, okay, we'll take some on this, one on this, one on that, one on that, mm-hmm. one on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably the agreement that they have with them. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So you're not going to be able to avoid it. No, no, no. Yeah. That, but that's not the case to avoid. It's just you don't want a Jim Acosta asking it in the accusatory way that he would. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen anyway. A constant barrage, right, yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, That was never going to happen. So he views as being, he, I think he views it and CNN views it, is it's a can't-lose proposition for both of them. Hmm. So do you avoid Fox News altogether? <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know that you can know. do that. I don't know. Yeah. Eight six six ninety red eye We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. You know, you talk about the, the we're talking about the town hall meeting that uh, Trump's going to have next week on uh, on CNN, and you said, well, can Trump stay away from Fox? I don't think he wants to go on Fox right now. I think that's the whole thing. I mean, he I I don't think he has any problem with uh, destroying Fox, especially after the entire uh, uh, lawsuit. I think that's one of the reasons he says I'm not going to debate. Because the first one's on Fox. He's like, I'm not going to be a part of that. Hmm. I don't want to boost up their their ratings. I don't know if Fox wants Trump on right now. Who was it? I think it was Donald Jr. saying he hasn't been on Fox in the longest time and they won't bring him on. So, does- Well, no, they've only had him on Fox Digital for... It's been well over a year that I know of. Yeah, he was on Hannity last month, Trump was. Okay. All right. Before all this hit. Yeah. All right. So that was one appearance over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. maybe maybe two or three others, when he used to be a mainstay on Fox News. Mm-hmm. And think, every story well, that they have him commenting on is he was on. Because here's what I wondered, too. All right. They have him commenting on, you know, he made a comment on this to Fox Digital. If he did that during the day, why wouldn't you have him on with a Bill Hammer? Right? Because mm-hmm. he's going to increase your ratings. Well, but if he comes on and says <clears throat> Dominion did steal the election, then they have to push back. There's the answer.
You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. So you think it might have been taped when he was on Hannity? I can't tell for sure. Uh, they, I don't see anybody writing that it was pre-recorded, but it was mm-hmm. at Mar-a-Lago, and it did air on a Monday. Now, Hannity's Friday show is pre-recorded. And so I wondered, okay, was it done? Because typically both sides would want it pre-recorded so they could get through, you know, okay, whatever the editing process is going to be, we want to make sure there's no... and. With Sean Hannity, I don't think Trump is worried about that. But we want to make sure there's no gotcha-type questions or or anything else. And, of course, Fox News at the time would want to make sure that there's not going to be anything said that they have to worry about. Now, having said that, if it's live and it's Hannity and and Trump, and it was at Mar-a-Lago, and, and they have a 30-second delay or whatever, then they don't have to worry about anything. But do you want that to be the case, or do you want something to come out much smoother? So I would love to know whether that was pre-recorded or not, because in most every case, a sit-down interview with someone at that level, either a sitting president or former president, is most often pre-recorded. And the point is, is that does Fox News want to expose themselves in that way? Do they want to stay away from that possible back and forth. Now, having said that, they're hosting the first GOP debate. Mm -hmm. That's coming up in August. You can't, if if Trump is on that stage, you can't say, well, we're not going to air this if he says that. Oh, no, you air everything that happens on stage. Yeah, you're going to have to be. But that's, uh, again, that would be in a debate format. Mm Mm-hmm where you're more the moderator and the attacks would come from the other sure. hosts that would, would sure. be there. Sure. But Trump may not be there. Yeah. You know, you stated he doesn't doesn't see any reason to be involved. Well it's funny in the because we said um when we were talking when he when he said he he he's not sure he's gonna be doing debates, I said, well, why not we threw around the ideas. Do you have to the question is do you have to do a debate these days? Is it necessary that you do a debate? Now, for the general election, you're going to have to do a debate. But He's, in the primary, yeah. are, do you have to do a debate? He said he will do a debate against uh, Biden. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, in the in, in the general election, you Who have wouldn't? to do a debate. Well, that's karate. Who would? Who would so, uh, so why? <laughs> Seinfeld reference. So, you know. You're fighting kids, Kramer. Well. well or you know, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's it's the other character from Lloyd Bridges' character. Yeah, come uh, on, cupcake. You're um, fighting it's children. Go time. Um, but you know, these are the questions you know that that we've been asking for a long time. Okay, all right, is it necessary? And we even threw out whenever that was last week, week before. Well, one of the things you could do is a town hall style debate. As long as you've got the setting, not mm-hmm. it wouldn't. It's not a debate. It's a town hall. Um, now, if you've got multiple people up there, if you've got multiple candidates up there, then of course it's a debate. But you could do town halls all day. Well, remember, 
when Trump first became president, we had said that what we would have advised him to do, especially on the border wall, was not him do the speaking on it every single day Mm -hmm. and talk about a border wall, Mm -hmm. but he actually, at that time, go on Fox and actually go down, you know, and Newsmax still existed, but majority of the time, go on Fox. And if Fox won't do it, you go down and you have it on local TV where, for example, C-SPAN might pick it up. Mm-hmm. But you actually go down to those border towns and you talk to the mayors. You talk to the Border Patrol. You do that. You sell the wall not by politics, the the traditional politics of the politician with the cheering crowd saying you should do it, but you get to the stories of American citizens that are affected by what's going on at the the, the border, and they tell you something needs to be done. And Trump, we believe, could have done that. Where he, I can, I in my mind, I still see him sitting there with people on both sides, not really saying a lot, but sort of being the moderator in a talk show saying, so what did you see and what did you see? And so it is bad over here. Well, do you think that a wall would? And maybe a couple of people would say, well, that uh, that would be good, but this would also be good. But you're opening it up. You're talking to the people that are involved in it. And I thought that Trump, with his media experience, you and I both thought this, especially on the wall, could have sold that. And on other things, I think that Trump would have been able to sell it much better if he actually talked to the people that that were involved. You and I said this when he first started running. The thing about Trump is, and it was really amazing, that after the entire uh, Romney debacle, that we can't have a rich person, you know, run for president, all of a sudden, nobody cared that Trump was rich. And you and I have both said over the longest period of time, he was in the construction business. He actually got along better and he's got a better personality to get along with the hard hat, hard hat, lunch bucket type of construction yeah. worker, average Joe, than anybody I've ever seen really in politics. Aesthetically, right. it is it, aesthetically in that regard, he is the guy that Joe Biden pretends to be. Yeah, and and we always thought that he should be doing town halls once a month on some issue. You know, do do it on the border, then do it on something else. Because we just thought that, and Fox would have been happy to do that. It's another town hall. And so it's not the president actually being peppered with questions. It's the president with his natural curiosity, with his beliefs of what he wants to do, and have the people there, you know, that are affected by it on whatever issue you're talking about, whether it would be, for example, corporate taxes. Regulation, small business roundtable. We're bringing in small business. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And you get small business to talk about it. And you get, you know, the person who runs the bakery, the person. And I, we just always thought that Trump had the ability to do it. And they just never, I don't know whether that's thinking too outside the box. I don't think it is because you're the whole no, point actually, is. No, actually, I think it's a, to communicate it's a, a message. Much direct, much more direct and simpler <clears throat> uh, approach. I, I think it and it also breaks it down into because, you know, we're seeing it right now with, you know, Lightfoot and and other uh, people in, in major blue areas, you know, saying, well, we're not we're not built for this. Look, the, the border towns and the border uh, states have been dealing with this forever. 
and on that issue in 2016, you know, he he really owned that issue. In 2020, he still owned that issue. Um, if you go back to, you know, my gosh, if, if you break it down on it, because in 2016, well, just like, you know, I, I think it's still today to some extent, uh, the left would say, well, you're just a racist. You don't want other people here from other nations and the, and the whole thing. And again, we point to the Jim Acosta back and forth the day that Jim Acosta got thrown out of the of the room because Trump was saying, no, we want people to come here legally in that exchange with Jim Acosta. He was saying, we want people to come here legally because we're going to need them for all the jobs we're creating, all the you know expansion that we're doing right now. We need more people here. When you break it down. And and I do believe it has, you know, I, this is where I think town halls have a greater advantage. But even more to the point, on a local level, if he were to approach it the way he did, I think it was after, I think it was after a hurricane. And you have, you know, you have local leaders there and it's a different, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's emergency relief and, and response and it's a different setting. But it applies here. Because what's going on at the border is a crisis, and it's ongoing for these mayors. It's ongoing for these sheriffs of those counties. You know, back then, the current uh, Border Patrol chief, Raul Ortiz, uh, in 2016, I think he was the Rio Grande sector chief or the Del Rio sector chief. I'm not, he had moved from one to the other. But the point is, is that you you can bring in all different levels and the citizens and the business owners, you mm-hmm. own a hotel here. What are you seeing? You own yep. a business here. Yep. What are you seeing? You're a citizen here. You have children in school here. What are you seeing? You, you, you're still the focal point, but you're the focal point of your natural curiosity of solving problems. And right. that's, you know, I, we want to get the job done. So what are the people actually facing out there? And this isn't that kind of – this is a town hall where people just ask him questions yeah, yeah, coming yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. But we're talking about when he was president, what we believe – he he should have done because I think there's two things. Uh, uh, people claim they don't like ideologues, but we all love ideologues that are promoting what we believe. But I don't think that's enough. I, I well, it can be enough to get you a win if that's what everybody is doing. But I think you can go beyond that, and you can be the ideologue on the podium promoting the things that you believe that are right and just. And then as you're promoting it in a loud, passionate voice, you say, "We'll be going to this town." Next Tuesday and next Tuesday, we've got a, you know, we've got a town hall meeting. We'll be talking to the people, you know, me saying it's one thing, actually seeing the people, you know, that are actually suffering because of these particular policies. And that's how you promote it. And you put yourself on the podium as an ideologue, as a moral ideologue. But then you take it. And when you go to the town hall, you actually have those those people that are actually affected by it. It's not you just promoting something to win an election. It's because you take it then and you're talking about, I'm concerned about Americans. And one thing that Trump had, and this is why we were disappointed that he never did that, and that's why we said he should have hired us as political consultants for, what is our price now? A billion each. Okay, a billion each. Okay, we started out like at a million <laughs> a few years ago. A billion. What's yeah. a, well, no, 999 million. We don't want Bernie Sanders to take it all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll donate a dollar to some someone, but but I I I think when you're able to when you're able, you're able to take it really you know to the streets, which I, you know I, I don't know of I don't know of a president that probably related and had the ability to relate 
to uh, the average Joe and Jane six pack, mm-hmm. if, whatever you want to say, as Trump did being a billionaire. I don't know. It's just you haven't seen that exist in American politics. Nobody ever really talks about the fact that he's the rich elite. You don't hear that. You still don't hear it after all this time. Mm-hmm. And so that I think that was an opportunity lost uh, by him. But I think projecting, hey, I'm an ideologue. Even even DeSantis, DeSantis to me is strongest. Not, I mean, now I see him on the podium all the time. It's like, uh, whatever. But when DeSantis is there and people are behind him and he brings up other people to talk about a situation that's going on, I think that's when DeSantis is the strongest also. I think any politician is stronger when not them on stage alone, but it leads to something else to show you the problems that Americans have and what, you know, some of the solutions are to it and that's why you should vote for me because i believe these solutions are right to help these people i just think that's more effective well i I, there's you know the there are a couple of acknowledgements in doing that and in this kind of approach you acknowledge number one you acknowledge the issue number two which is huge because it goes beyond the even the bill clinton i feel your pain thing you're actually right there on the ground with them and you're listening to their stories and they're you're giving them a voice in that moment but then beyond that, you're also acknowledging that it is a multi-tier approach to the solution and that you understand that those mm-hmm. issues are local, that I'm going to come here to where this issue is, I'm going to listen to you, and then we're going to do what we can to help you here locally. We're not going to do it from inside the bubble. There's a reason that every state of the union, they point out somebody and tell their personal story. Yeah. Because people are more interested in that. Yep. And so when you talk about people, individual, you see news, I read an article today about, what was it? Oh, the media, the whole media, and they're talking to people. Yeah. You know, if you and I say the media sucks, okay, those guys always say the media sucks. Here's an average Joe saying, I just can't really get what I, I relate to that guy. Yeah, right. 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Red Eye Radio, he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, <laughs> Talking a little bit about the, the media and Fox News and CNN. Mm. Americans fault news media for dividing the nation. A new poll out there. Yeah, okay. So mm. we will uh, get to that poll. And are you ready? All right. Here's the headline. From transgendered to transabled. These are people who are choosing to identify as handicapped and, for example, you know, believe that their legs should be cut off or their spinal cord should be snipped. I know you can't make this. People yeah. think I'm making it up. No. Yeah. New York Post right here. People are choosing to identify as handicapped. And they are not handicapped. And they're not handicapped. No, they're not. Nothing's physically wrong with them. Wow. We'll get to that. And All right. Coming up, 866-90-RED-EYE.
is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Welcome and good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and listen when and where you uh, wish to. All right. Uh, this was an interview that uh, Fox did with uh, Secretary of State Ant- uh, Antony Blinken and asked him, uh, right out if he had uh, any role in the Hunter Biden Russian disinformation letter. Remember that Mike Morrell, former uh, CIA director uh, under Obama, said he was the impetus and he called him and he was the the person who got this whole thing going. Now, nowhere in there did Mike Morrell state that he told me to write the letter. But he hmm. said the letter would not have been written if he hadn't got the call and with the urgency from, uh, you know, from. The uh, the the uh, uh, Secretary of State, then he was part of the campaign to uh, to uh, to do this. So he was asked the question yesterday on Fox News. Here was his response. I want to ask about the letter that was written concerning Hunter Biden's laptop hmm. uh, that said it was you know, Russian disinformation. Hmm. Uh, can you explain what your role was in that and if you incentivized it? Well, first, one of the great benefits of this job is that I uh, don't do politics and uh, don't uh, don't engage in it. But By the way, that's a lie. <laughs> yeah. He started out with a lie. Yeah. <laughs> politics isn't involved with being Secretary of State. Uh-huh. What a load of horse manure. Right. All right, let's continue. With regard to uh, uh, to that letter, um, I didn't, uh, wasn't my idea, didn't ask for it, didn't solicit it, and uh, I think uh, the testimony uh, that um, the former Deputy Director of the CIA, Mike Morrell, Put forward, confirms that. No, it didn't. Yeah, what are you, not what are you what referring to? I'm not, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess you just keep it going, right? We've seen this throughout this administration. Deny it exists. No, no I didn't do it, and I think the evidence is clear. Okay, what I didn't see here, and I'm I haven't been able to find a transcript of the entire interview, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not in the article anywhere here mm-hmm. um, that I'm that I'm reading here. Why didn't Fox ask him the question as to the fact that he testified under oath that he had never communicated by email with Hunter Biden, and we know that's not true? Why wasn't that question asked? Yeah, I wonder if that was a precondition. You can't ask about that. Because that's really, right now, basically the you know, the biggest charge against him right now is that he lied about that. So interesting that, you know, it'd be interesting, like the Mike Morrell uh, uh, conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to, well, maybe we'll write a letter. Maybe we should get a letter together and do it. Well, I guess that'd be one way to do it. Well, I did. wasn't my idea. It was his idea because he said it. I told him that I thought it was Russia disinformation mm-hmm. and everything else. Are you stating that you didn't tell him it was Russia disinformation? You notice they never got into that specific question 
Uh, I don't know who that reporter was for Fox, but they need to have better reporters asking more pertinent questions, yes. more specific questions to get to the minutia of it. Yes. So you can't back out of it. Right. So did you have the conversation with him? Did you tell him? Did you ask him? Did you tell him that this was Russian disinformation? Right. Or probably Russian disinformation? And if so, how did you know? Right. And you say you didn't. It wasn't your idea. But when you told him that it was Russian disinformation, did he give you an indication that he would do something? And you acknowledged, oh, okay, the, yeah. You know, I'm just giving you the information. You do what you want. Right. Because he was very specific in how he answered this. We've done this long enough where we can parse the answers from well, politicians. Right. But it also goes back to asking the right questions. Yep. Benjamin Hall. Okay. Yeah. So that was for special report. I'll have to see if I can find if they played the entire interview. See, they do these things and they cut them up, and that's the well, thing. That's the problem. Th- but that's you would think that would if that happened, if that if that question was asked, the next then one, yeah, that would be the story. Yeah, that would the be the answer yeah. to that. Whatever the answer is to the email, right? Would be the story because that's the accusation. He lied. How is that not the first question? I don't know. Hmm. I just figured we bring it up and we'll we'll continue to crawl along with that story. Yeah, <laughs> it, it shouldn't be this hard, but yeah, no, I know. Eh, it, yeah, yeah, it always is this hard. Mm-hmm. So here yeah, it, it is. is, but it shouldn't be. Yeah, uh, New York Post: From transgendered to transabled, people are choosing to identify as handicapped. A troubling societal issue called transableism is attracting attention these days. Transableism is a newer term for uh, body integrity identity disorder in which a person actually identifies as handicapped. Uh, BIID has been relabeled as transableism to align with today's trans community, according to some. The point of changing the identifier from a uh, psychiatric condition to an advocacy term is to harness the stunning cultural power of gender ideology to the cause of allowing doctors to treat BIID patients by amputating healthy limbs, snipping spinal cords, or destroying eyesight, according to the Evolution News and Science Today, which reports on and analyzes evolution neuroscience, bioethics, intelligent design, and other scientific-related issues. Culturally, transableism is the next abyss, the site also uh, notes. The National Institutes of Health notes on its website, those with BIID desire the amputation of one or more healthy limbs or desire a paralysis. Fox News Digital went out looking for opinions, asked a college student from North Carolina what they thought. It's offensive to people who actually suffer from the condition that you say you need in order to be your true self. It's embarrassing. I don't know uh, if it can be considered a seri- uh, you, you can be considered a serious human being if you alter your body like this instead of getting the appropriate mental help that you need. In one case... Uh, This uh, 153-year-old, a senior credit analyst in Oslo, Norway, 
identifies as disabled, uses a wheelchair even though she has no physical handicap. She is also transgender, according to the news report. Uh, said that on a morning TV program, Good Morning Norway, in 2022, it has been a lifelong wish to have been born a woman paralyzed from the waist down. Even more shocking case, a 21-year-old North Carolina woman who identified as blind actually took steps to destroy her own eyesight, according to multiple reports from a few years ago. Uh, an Arizona doctor called today's transabilism a delusional disorder. In my opinion, uh, both transgender and transabled uh, persons suffered from a delusional disorder, said Jane Orient, a doctor in Tucson, Arizona, and executive director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, told Fox News Digital via email. The Hippocratic Oath adjures physicians to do no harm. Mutilating the body is an objective harm, even if it makes the patients subjectively feel better, she added. The disability is lifelong and imposes burdens on others, and neither patients nor physicians conduct their responsibility uh, uh, for that. Orion also noted with transgenders, the follow-up is generally very short. Not sure about the follow-up for elective amputees, she said. The no other way to cope with the condition excuse is a cop-out, and we need to find other ways. Denial of reality is anti-scientific. The pushback the pushback is continuing. Yeah, uh, there's, there's no doubt. And, and, you know, I wondered about this for the longest time when it came to surgeries. How many surgeons are willing... To do this surgery, you know, for something like this, I I don't know where in the world you would find a surgeon that would do anything like this. But then you talk about the transition surgery with transgenders. And we've been talking about, as of late, children. Where do you find doctors who are willing to do that life-altering permanent surgery on children. I wonder about the ones who would do it at all for adults. I know. You know, you you have uh, one doctor who's quoted here. It says, look, we go through a, a very lengthy prop, uh, uh, process in confirming if people want to do elective surgery like a tummy tuck, a facelift. One of the things that you've seen over the years, these stories of people getting surgery, getting a, a you know some kind of work done on their face, then they have this issue when after everything is healed that they don't look like themselves. Oh, yeah. And that the you know, that it was altered, in some cases, too much. And where, I always think the people, of that... Where the people lose the sense of self-identity right. when they look in the mirror and they say, look that's in the mirror not who and, I am. And say, that's not me. Yeah. And and it never goes away. Yeah. Every time they look in the mirror, that's the sense of, that's not me. 
as a result of surgery that they commissioned themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder about, okay, how many lawsuits? I mean, there's a there's got to be a, a line that would go from here to Mars of lawsuits of people saying, hey, you messed up my facial surgery. This isn't what I wanted. Even though you did what I asked, I didn't expect it to look this way. Right. Now you take that kind of uh, litigious uh, response to people who have surgery you can't reverse in other ways. Again, I don't know any doctor that would do this, this transabilist. You know, the funniest thing yesterday was I, I, I don't know why. It probably has been on before. I just never noticed it for men who want Botox treatment for their face to get rid of wrinkles. And there was John Kerry. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this guy, the model, whoever they were using or the person, I don't know whether Mm. it was an actor portraying a patient or whatever. Mm. This guy was young. I'm looking, he says, and so I got the Botox treatment. I'm like, Oh, okay. Your face looks pretty young and everything else. What did you look for before? That was the before. Yeah. I'm like, well, there's nothing wrong with your face. They showed the after. He had a couple little wrinkles in his forehead. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's like, wow. Which you've had since you were a kid. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, wow. No, I'm I'm sorry. That, well, <laughs> I, you know, pe- people may not want to accept the way that they look. You know, and we, you've seen the stories. Um, everyone from Michael Jackson to other people that are in the spotlight that just keep having surgery. They're just not happy with the way they look. Yeah. And, you know, I, it would take a psychologist to explain to me that situation and people, this is on a whole new level. I know. It's been my lifelong fantasy to be a woman who is paralyzed from the waist Down. down. Yes. They're, and and I guess you pretend, you just keep pretending. Well, do we move right to transableism, and do we just jump over uh, trans uh, transracial? I think it is, would. Is, is, transracial, move, is transracial jumping the shark even for the left? If you move to this, well, we've been asking that for a long time. But if you move to this, and then, because here's the, here's the question. If it's this person, they say it's their fantasy. You don't hear that from transgenders. They're not, their defense isn't, it's been my fantasy to be a woman. It's, I feel in my mind, I'm a woman. All of my life, I've felt like I am a woman. That's a very different than it's been my lifelong fantasy <laughs> to be disabled. To be a woman who is disabled. Again, the psychology that there is something very wrong well, with yes, this person. Yeah, because most, but it's not yeah, in their legs. Because most people I mean you don't even think about, you know, if you're you don't even think of those things. Right. You know, and I used to think about gender. I never have had a thought in my mind until somebody brought it up. Right. You know, 
Well, you feel like a male. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I am. Yeah. I don't. Did I ever consciously say I feel like there's an inherent thing in my mind that I know that I'm male that is outside of the genetics? No. 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 I mean, and so when they say, well, everybody, everybody, you know, identifies, well, I don't actually, I, the only reason I identify as a male is because I know biologically I am because of my chromosomes. Yeah. That's how I know. There is no thought that I think I'm a man and I act like a man in some way. It's just who I am. And that's the one thing that I've always wondered about the fact of, well, if you're thinking that to begin with, because that's the whole point. Well, everybody identifies. Well, not really. I mean, why? how do you identify? Do you identify because you understand the biological concept, you know, behind the chromosomes, between it, and that's, you know. I don't identify, or, or, I or, acknowledge. Or acknowledge, right. Or early on, you acknowledge because you know your body parts. Right. And the acknowledgement is based on science. It's, I'm glad you said that, because acknowledge is different than identify. When you say identify, that means you're choosing right. it. Right. When you acknowledge, right. it's not your choice. You, you're simply acknowledging. 866-90-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. Compliance, safety, accountability, or CSA, is the FMCSA safety compliance and enforcement program. Its goal is to hold motor carriers and drivers accountable for highway safety and to reduce crashes, injuries, and fatalities on our roads. CSA does this by assessing the safety performance of motor carriers and drivers based on data collected during roadside inspections, crash reports, and FMCSA investigations. Based on the data that is compiled, motor carriers are assigned a score. The carrier is then grouped with other carriers who have had a similar number of safety events. Carrier scores within the group are then ranked to determine intervention priority. Low scores are better, so carriers with the highest scores are those that are most likely to be targeted for intervention by the FMCSA. Interventions range in severity and may include warning letters, roadside, off-site, or on-site inspections, civil penalties, or operation out-of-service orders. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. The amount of money moving out of some states, California, New York, and Illinois, for example, the biggest losers of money from their state, and what states is the money actually moving into, and latest poll, Americans fault news media for dividing the nation. Mm. That and more on the way.
on your smart speaker, say, Play Red Eye Radio. And, if you're really nice, she might. Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. So when it comes to the news media and the impact it's having on democracy and the political polarization in the United States, this is Associated Press, Americans are likelier to say it's doing more harm than good. Nearly three-quarters of U.S. adults say the news media is increasingly uh, a political polarization in this country, and just under half say they have little or no trust in the media's ability to report the news fairly and accurately, according to a new survey from the Associated Press and the NORC, Center for Public Affairs Research. The poll released uh, before World Press Freedom Day this coming Wednesday shows Americans have significant concerns about misinformation and the role played by the media itself, along with politicians and social media companies in spreading it, but that many are also concerned about growing threats to journalists' uh, safety. The news riles people up, said uh, 53-year-old Barbara Jordan, a Democrat from Kansas. Jordan says she now does her own online research uh, uh, instead of going by what she sees on TV news, you're better off Googling something and learning about it. I trust the Internet more than I do the TV. Hmm. Survey res- reveals a complicated relationship many Americans have with the media. Uh, the majority uh, rate in-depth and investigative reporting is very helpful or extremely helpful for understanding the issues they care about, but they are uh, more likely to say they regularly scan the headlines then read an in-depth investigative article. And while overall trust in the media is low, a majority of respondents say the media is doing at least somewhat well in covering issues that they care about. Hmm. Four in ten say the press is doing more to hurt American democracy, while only two in ten say the press is doing more to protect it. Republicans view the news media less favorably than Democrats, with 61% of Republicans saying the news media is hurting democracy, compared to 23% of Democrats and 36% of independents who don't lean towards either party. Majorities across party lines say the news media fuels political division, but Republicans are much more likely than Democrats to say that's happening a lot. And more Republicans think the news is strongly influenced by the U.S. government, and the political views of journalists, which, of course, uh, it is. So there you go. I mean, I, you know, you and I, uh, again, we're part of the media, but, you know, we've stated this many times before. I know for me, I pay attention to political spin because I can use it for the show. If I wasn't doing the show, I probably wouldn't pay as much attention and wouldn't watch as much political spin. But I enjoy the spin because it can... It can then uh, make it so we here on the show can accurately portray how the media and different media are covering things. Yeah. So uh, it is, and and in the case of, come on, of of Biden and Kamala Harris, it's downright entertaining at times because it's getting to be so bizarre. Mm-hmm. You know the spin that exists out there, but uh, you know with the the spin earlier today. I mean, we played you know uh, Secretary of State Blinken saying, well, he's lucky he's Secretary of the State, he doesn't ever deal in politics. Well, that's a lie, and everybody mm. knows it. Yeah. He's a political monster. He deals with it all the time. But when the, And we find it interesting because when he comes out to deny something, 
probably it's not best to deny something by starting out with an unrelated lie or a generalized lie that you're not a political person because you're Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't even know why you would make the attempt. No. Uh, but, you know, with now he's not he's not a member of the media, but that's just talking about when you see political spin, uh, it's pretty easy to understand it. When you see, for example, because political spin also has to do with not, you know, not covering, omission. For example, the Hunter Biden paternity suit, none of the major networks carried it yesterday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would that happen if it was Trump? If Trump's family had denied one of their children, one of his children's, uh, if if Donald Trump uh, never mentioned a granddaughter that he had from one of his children out of wedlock that they didn't exist. And then there was a big paternity suit, which also led to a financial related to a financial scandal. Do you think the news media outlets would not cover it? Well, from the beginning, uh, if uh, Eric or Donald Trump Jr. had a laptop (laughs) in the store, I mean, the New York Times would have had the laptop as a focal point in a parade in New York City. (laughs) The Grand Marshal would have been the laptop. Um, It's, and it's predictable. I guess here's my question. As our sensibilities change, the more and more, you know, we have... I don't know how many different sources now where you're bombarded basically by your phone. And if you if if that's the way you set it up, even if you don't, if you launch Google, you know, things are going to come up. It's it's going to be in front of you somewhere. It's going to be on social media. If you're on social media, it's going to be there. So you're bombarded with this information more and more. Our sensibilities adapt because, believe it or not, you are dealing with it. Your your mind is like, oh, whoa, <laughs> hold on a second. I got so much coming at me. I don't know that, you know, how to sort all of this. Compartmentalize it. All. That's what yeah. you're trying to do. That's what your brain is trying to do so that you decide what's important and what's not. Mm-hmm. The spin has been, I would say from this administration since Corrine Jean-Pierre, it's it's not even about spin anymore. I, you know, with, with her, I don't know how many people on the, you know, on the daily basis actually followed the White House briefings anyway. But then you step outside of that and then you go to the larger stories that rise to the top in social media. And I wonder how many people, I, mean, I really do wonder how many people look at it and say, and I'm with you, if, if, if I weren't doing this for a living, you know, the so-called spin wouldn't register to me because you can see, see it for what it is. You can easily compartmentalize that in today's world. It was different before because basically you had the evening news, the morning paper, the evening paper, and that's all you had. And then you took it 
and you digested that. Mm-hmm. Then you had your local news or spin on it occasionally, and then that was that. Now it's a constant discussion, so there's an echo chamber of every major story. There's an echo chamber effect. And I think a lot of people probably learn to tune that out or decide to tune that out. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, One thing that I probably would have tuned out by now would have been the, not that I wouldn't have argued the same way, but I would have tuned out the liberal transgender activist movement. Because the arguments are the same. Yeah. And it never ends, and it's just like it gets to be absurd, where it's like, well, no, scientifically, you know, you you may think you are, but scientifically you're not. Yes, I am! Well, then, there's the argument right there. They right. believe the delusion that, they're a biolo- they're, that they are biologically different than they actually are, which is not based in reality. I'm done with the argument at that point. If this- I'm not a talk show host... Yeah. I'm done with it, and I'm not going to argue every. I'm not going to debate it every day. This is why the Dylan Mulvaney thing is going to be very hard mm-hmm. to salvage from Anheuser Busch and their standpoint, from their position. When people on on a product like that, when people have made their mind, they're beyond your reach at that point. They're not engaged every day. They're not going to see the the commercial, you know, that you put out to try and salvage this. They're not going to engage that way because you've already turned them off. You've already right. turned them. Right. Right. You have pushed them away. Right. Don't expect them to turn around regardless of how loud you get to try and lure right. them back. Right, because that's that's not that's not something that's hard to figure out for the average person. Right. They may be intimidated and part maybe part of this reaction is the the so-called as we call it the blue of uh, tsunami wave of intimidation has been so strong, but this is something that hit them you know, immediately, and they could just say, I'm not going to drink the beer anymore, and then it became a huge story, and then people started paying a lot of attention to it. The thing is, you know, for example, I saw Brittany Griner come out yesterday and defend the fact that male athletes should support it. Well, it gets back to our same argument then, well, that's part of being a self-misogynist, because mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. Males shouldn't compete against females. It's ridiculous. It's not a civil right. It's ridiculous. And so we argue it every day, but most people, they hear the argument once or twice, and it's like, okay, that's it. I don't need to hear it anymore. So when it comes out over and over again, I think it sort of, it may tune people out unless they want to hear, you know, the daily analysis of it, of of their of their side, you know, defending their side and making, you know, salient points about it. Mm-hmm. Then they may tune in, for example, to talk radio, whatever, and 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 people do do that because they we get that you know people say can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about you know what happened today well what happened today might not be different any different than what happened the same topics might happen a month ago right. but it's different people right. saying it there's a little bit of right. nuance and the people that that support your point of view and in our case a truthful point of view they want to hear how you're going to respond to it but a lot of other people are like Meh, I just don't care anymore. Because most people are not involved in the minutia of politics each and every day. Right. They're not. Right. They're, they're, just, they're just not. But with the media, you know, when you look at it, for example, and they say the media is anti-democratic. And if you were to ask me that, do you believe the media is anti-democratic? And how would you, how would you frame that? I'd simply frame where I see the media is anti-democratic 
is in their wish to censor uh, yeah. and, and their promotion of government censoring, actually from the media. This is actually right. coming from the media. Their embrace that if we, you know, that if we don't like something, we'll call it hate speech and it should be banned. They're outright lies because I do think that a the a a press, a free press, a free honest press that it's at least willing to tell the truth. They may have a different opinion than me. But you know their aim is to tell the truth. For example, right. people say, well, you guys are right-wing and you don't agree with anybody on the left. Actually, I do. I agree with Jonathan Turley. I think there's common grounds. I agree a lot with sure. Alan Dershowitz. Sure. I may disagree with it, but I do believe they are honestly trying to have an argument. They're not gaslighting me each and every day. A Matt Taibbi, who's a liberal. A Michael Schellenberger, who's a liberal. We have common ground on a lot of things that are, for example, constitutional, you know, free speech, things like that. And then you say, okay, they've opened up a dialogue with me. You know, they've opened up a dialogue where I say, okay, they're actually searching for truth. They may have different opinions, but I can I can handle that. I can handle people that gaslight me constantly and are lying to me 24 hours a day. For example, I could not deal and probably most of us could not deal with the Kareem Jean-Pierre. Right. Whose entire and you're saying, well, there's there's yeah, there's no value to that uh, or, kind or, of behavior or in, AOC, in my life. Or an AOC. Yeah. An AOC. Right. You couldn't deal because you could never come. There is there is zero common ground. There's right. zero common ground from her. She's always gaslighting 24-7. Mm-hmm. Her whole life is gaslighting. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about the whole Biden family thing and the, the kid and all that and just, you know, how they the pathological lying that goes on through that family mm-hmm. as a consistent basis. And we said, look, if you lie all the time like this, that goes into your personal life. And we've seen it with the Biden family, with uh, the with uh, uh, Hunter Biden's daughter. Right. That they just refuse to acknowledge. And you look at that and there's a certain as, as uh, there's a great amount of viciousness and cruelty that's in there and most people don't relate to it but for the media that's how i'd say they're a they're a harm to democracy is because they do believe in censorship they do not believe in a free press they believe in political activism because that's what they are right mm-hmm. and you know there's no way you, that you're going to you know if you you're not going to get the trust of most people once you've lost that so whether you're the media or somebody that's in these news stories or a major corporation like Anheuser-Busch, once you go down that road, once you've lost that trust, it can be at some point impossible to get it back. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. So, yeah, some interesting things in this uh, poll where the Americans fault the news media for dividing the nation. One of the reasons is they actually don't believe in the basic tenets of the Constitution. So they can only divide the nation if they're political activists with that goal in mind. 
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.